This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, I'm your host, Jason Glick. How are you doing, Jason Glick? I'm doing just fine, John. And yourself? Oh, not half bad. What do you have on the skillet for us tonight, Mr. Chef Supreme? <laughs> well, as the uh, it's like as the name title of the podcast indicates, this is on my best of 2014 podcast. And you know, I gotta admit, like you know, thinking about you know, um, what like you know, what was the best best comics I read last year? I when I started first, um, like spat out all the titles that I that I felt qualified. I only came with about seven, so then I had to like you know go through the go through the, the backlogs of the blog and the podcast and start thinking about well, what else you know really gripped me over this year. And, yeah, there's lots of good stuff that was you know, I thought was good, but also had you know some kind of you know okay oh but there then there was this that um, held me back from like from giving it the you know full on you know like best of best of status. And so yeah, you know, this is I'll admit this year was like a little bit harder to um. Ca- catch up to come up with the, top, with the top 10 list but you know that's not to say there weren't like you know lots of great titles out there it's just that you know there were, there was also that you know that those few that like that you know special something something that gets them on this list for lack of a better term because yeah we all know how technical something something is it is as you know these terms go anyway you know enough of the rambling on with the list Starting off at number ten, in you know this actually this list actually has more um, Marvel titles than in past years, and um, at the at the bottom of the list comes um, Infinity, written by Jonathan Hickman, illustrated by a host of very talented artists, um, including Lanil Yu, Stefano Caselli, um, Jim Chung, Dustin Weaver, Jerome Pena. It's basically, it's basically one of the um, the next step in um, Hickman's massive Avengers story, which I'm very much looking looking forward to seeing how it wraps up in it's like in 2015 with um, Secret Wars, as it turns out. But uh, Infinity is is, um, is on one hand, it's it's a story about Thanos um, making his latest bid to um, take over Earth, but also to um, find and kill the Sun that he never knew he had, and also. But also for the um, for the builders, the um, very first um, galactic race that has basically been making it, wiping out and conquering all of the uh, all the other um, races in the like in the cosmos on a beeline to Earth. So it's it basically it's a big gigantic space opera, and it is probably the best Marvel event in years because um, you know well some some have been entertaining it on their own terms, like say um, World War Hulk. Others, like say Avengers or X Men, have you know kind of suffered from you know too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, see, um, Infinity works um, because not only because um, they give because Hickman had a huge canvas to um to work with. Not only did he um or, or um did he have like say um four, four issues of of Avengers to um, set things up, but also um he also had the um the its sister title New Avengers to tell. To tell the stories of what the Illuminati was doing doing at the time, and also to um, fill in the blanks of the um, main crossover with um, with Avengers, it's with Avengers proper. It's like overall, it's like you know, it shows that you know, hey, if you're going to do these big crossovers, it's best you know to uh, just have the uh, guys writing and just you know give them as much space as possible. I mean, I don't know, it's like I, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of how um, Blackest Night, which was also like you know the best DC event in recent memory, still. Um, you know, Jeff Johns had that title, had had the main miniseries, and then also um, his the Green Lantern title fill in the um, fill in the blanks, you know, between issues. So, Infinity makes a great case for just you know giving um, for ha- for a having having um, 
one writer be the sole architect of of a crossover and be giving him as much space him or her as much space as possible in order to um pull off said crossover it's not perfect there's still some there's still some continuity issues and it's like in it's like in dramatic niggles over over the end but it's still it's like you know if all big superhero events were as good as infinity then yeah it's like we wouldn't be um bitching about them it's like you know as they as they come along Anyway, next up at number nine is another Marvel title, Thor, God of Thunder. Now, everyone knows that, you know, Walt, Walt Simonson's run on Thor is like the definitive run for that title. And after that, you know, there's not a whole heck of a lot of, like, you know, with the character that anyone paid attention to until, say, he was relaunched by um, J. Michael Straczynski, then had a, um extended, um, extended um, filler run by um, Kieran Gillen, which was actually pretty pretty good, considering the fact that you know he wasn't the um, proper Thor writer at the time. He was just called on to you know like you know mark time until um, Matt Fraction took over, and Fraction was kind of crap. But then um, Jason Aaron comes along and gives us a story of not one but three different Thors: Young Thor back in the um, it's like back in the eleventh century, um, modern day Thor, and um, an old Thor who is basically at the uh, minding over the last days of. It's like of Asgard and Midgard as well. There's these first. This is this is specifically for the first two volumes, which is basically the saga of um the God Butcher Gore. It's yeah, it's a it's a very um it, it's not a very subtle run as the um name of the God Butcher implies, but it is, but it does show um that Aaron has a um knows how to tell a an epic um cross generational story and has a great handle on Thor, like you know whatever era he is. He was working in, and when when he brings all three of them together in the second volume to take on take on Gore and his gigantic god bomb, it is something. It is truly something to behold. It is a it, it is a series that you know the, that does have like a great epic heft to it, and it got me immersed in in several parts that I wasn't expecting to. Plus, even even though I will always complain about how um, artist Saad Rabik tends to have um, you know annoying gape faces. Um, in his art at times, there's no doubt that he turns into some some spectacular poster-worthy art. It's like over the course of his run, particularly the very end, just when um, Thor gets gets hold of Gore's weapon, and it's got and it's a um, really insanely um, badass visual right there when he finally um, gives Gore what's coming to him. It's like um, Volume Three, which I'll be talking, which you know I believe like, I've. Talking about this on Monday right now, but um, by the time this goes up on Wednesday, I may have already written about um, Volume Three. Isn't quite as good as these two, but um, but it's still. But um, these first these um, first two volumes show that you know Aaron um, has a, a is a great um, writer for the character. I look forward to seeing whatever else he does does with the character after this. Next up, because it seems that you know, if there's one DC hero that I'm going to keep talking about on these lists, you know, it's going to be Batman. Because you know, at number eight is Batman Zero Year, which is basically um, volumes four and five of um, the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo run. Now, back when the uh, this run was announced, that it was going to you know focus on on grit on um, you know the Batman's you know first year as Batman, everyone's kind of like, well, wait, you're writing. Um, Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli's, um year one out of continuity. Oh man, you bastards! It's not to say now. That's also goes with the fact that you know that um they, that you know all just about every Batman story written out of continuity with the new Fifty Two. But you know 
I still like to pretend that, you know, stuff did happen and all, because, you know, it's like, you want to throw out everything that was good about the character in these defining stories. And, you know, the fact that, you know, even though I've liked, um, like, Snyder and Capullo's run so far, the fact that, um, you know, you're, you're taking on one of the absolute greatest Batman stories of all time, you know, that seems like a recipe for disaster right there. But, um, Snyder, but, um, to their credit, um, they uh, they realize you you can't you don't attack you know the the story on the same level. I mean, I mean Zero Year. It's like you know had had the clever conceit of starting with the fact that you know Bruce Wayne you know he came back to Gotham after training to be like you know to fight crime, and then realizing that, hey I'm not going to um be Bruce Wayne anymore. I'm going to just you know fight. I'm just going to like, you know wage my one man war on crime. Like you know as a it's like as one as one guy. It's like, and just, it'd just be like a, like a nameless, um, it's like a nameless crusader in the face of justice. So it's kind of cool that, you know, that, that we have like, you know, like, like on Bruce Wayne, like, you know, like going, going in this direction. And then of course, you know, he, he realizes that, Hey, you know, that he's going to need help. He's going to need people like Alfred, like Lucius Fox, like all the, like the other citizens and the other citizens of Gotham's themselves. Oh, and Jim Gordon, of course. In order to um, make sure this this war um, actually has, has a chance of succeeding at some point, and also um, the series is actually a great Riddler story as well because you know I don't know if there are really any um, Riddler stories that really qualify as great that you know people say you know, this is the one you read in order to um, understand the Riddler, but this one definitely qualifies as um, Edward Nigma is basically the um, this is the mastermind of everything that happens here, and it's and he, and he's um solely um he's surely pulling the strings behind every, like every every um little little bit of the story. And while he's ahead of the curve for a good portion of like of the story, you know as as is always the case, you know there's a um Bruce Wayne and and his friends you know pull off a um like a great upset by showing out uh, hey you know there is you may be ahead of the game up to this point, but not anymore. So overall, so overall zero year, it's like, is a, uh, it's like, like, even though it's like, it's like I said, it's basically replacing um, year one continuity. It succeeds in the sense that it's a great story on its own. And it doesn't try to um, retread um, like the ground that Miller and Mazzuccelli did years before. Okay. Next up though, is something that couldn't be more at odds with that that sentiment. And that's um, number seven, the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Now, this is a story about Spider-Man's D-list villains. You know, we, we're, all from, well, we're all from the A-list. You know, the green, got the Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, and, um, you know, all those other guys that I can't be bothered to remember right now. But then what about guys like, you know, Boomerang, the Shocker, Beetle, Overdrive, the guy who can turn um, car model, like models into actual, um, like, you know, full-fledged vehicles. You know, those guys... Um, you know what? How, like you know what? What makes them tick and all? Well, writer um, Nick Spencer and artist Steve Lieber. This shows that you know while these guys, you know, they aren't content to just um, settle for their their D-list standard right, D-list standards as they have it. They've got ambitions of their own. They've got they want to um, they want to beat Spider-Man. They want to become you know Lord of New York. They want to be rolling in taking all all the women and money they they want. But you know they're, they're they just don't have their act together at all. And um, Nick Spencer, you know, 
to his credit, does a great job of showing that, you know, these, these assholes, you know, they're just, they're horrible people, but, um, but, you know, it's, it's that inner assholishness that it's like the fact that they just can't, um, can't seem to work together or rise above their failings that keeps them at the D list and keeps them, you know, like floundering when other, it's like when other villains, you know, almost succeed in, you know, taking down the hero and getting what they want. These guys will be forever, you know, at, like at the bottom of the list. And it's also, and it's also one of the funniest um, titles I've read. It's like, I've read this year. It's like, the, the humor is like kind of hard to work in comics, but this, but um, Spencer, you know, and, and Lieber really pulled it off here. Um, the final volume is due out um, next next year, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that how they wrap things up right there. Okay, next up, number six is a title that I actually haven't written about yet, and actually just I just finally got in my hands um, like about a week ago. That is um, Sunstone by Stepan Sedgik, and um, while I'm big into um, just about everything that Image does, and I'm kind of surprised I'm not that more of their titles didn't wind up on my list. But um, the fact, what makes um, uh, Sunstone unique, um, Sunstone is unique in a couple of ways. I mean, it comes from Image's um, Top Cow imprint, which is, the, which is um, the imprint founded by Mark Silvestri with this Cyber Force and Witchblade um, stuff over, over the years. And I could not give a shit about all this, all this superhero stuff that has come after that, that title over the years. Well, okay, maybe the exception of um, Rising Stars and Wanted, but um, most of the stuff that comes out from that from from Top Cow is just can just be safely ignored. Sunstone, however, is an outlier. It's like you know, even in the industry itself, because it's a um, as it is a series about um, it's like er- it is a it is an erotic series about um two women, one who is um who is a basically a, who's a budding dominatrix, one who is a submissive, and how they find find each other online. And um, come together and basically um, find a way to um, scratch each, each other's sexual itches. There's yes, there is lots of sex. It's like and there's um, there is full, and there's lots of there's plenty of full frontal nudity in here as well. But the series is all about you know just just getting getting into their mindsets and how you know they get you know how um, how e- how each um, you know like surrenders to the, or how like what. Why the, this, each other's particular kink uh, works for them? It's like it's actually, it's like it's a, it's the, that rare series that is actually like you know gets gets into their heads, gets into the into its characters' heads about sex and doesn't um it's like it doesn't doesn't really doesn't really pander or it's like or objectify their it's like their 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 desires. I mean, there's there's a great moment when um let's see when um the uh, the, the narrator of the story um talks about how. That's why I was like, you know, wait, don't run away. The series has lots of um kinky um like um um lesbian BDSM sex. And also um how the uh it's like how you know, how we're all pervy in our in our own way. It's like I it's like I, I liked how the series, you know, that really just like came off as like really really not judgmental and just you know not didn't go for like cheap dramatic um like cheap dramatic sense like, you know, having like one of the characters, you know, jaws be endangered by their by their sexual proclivities and all, it's like I mean there is there is some element to that, but it's not a driving force. I mean it's all about these two characters just get just you know discovering each other. It's like and I'm um, fine and I'm clicking in their own way, and I'm and it's also and it's also pretty pretty funny too. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what um 
what comes in future volumes, and oh, and also what pushes this volume over the top for me is that the um, is that instead of just having having just like you know a bunch of um, you know random art stuff at the end the back of the volume, um, Sedgwick also talks about the process for creating the series and the and his narrative in the back of the volume. I definitely love to see um, more of that stuff. It's like in um vol- like in comics like in the background for comics um period. <sighs> But, um, well, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, next up is the other Image Comics on the list. And, you know, I've, I tend to, um, you know, I want to keep these series, this, um, this list, you know, you know, geared more towards, um, you know, like series that down, like surprise me or just like make great, great debut or make a great finish over the years. Cause I, you know, if, if I didn't, then you'd just be hearing me talk about just how great, um, you know, say the walking dead fables, um, uh, what else? A real Oku. It's like all like all the other ongoing series are. It just it just be nothing but oh, and Blade of the Immortal, of course. How the fuck can I forget that? Because God, it's like Blade of the Immortal is like already a lock for next year. Because you know, after all that's done over the years, <laughs> there's it's going to have to be uh, work. It's, that one final one is going to have to actually work in order to get me to not consider the series for best of 2015 as it is. Anyway, as I was saying, you know. Um, actually, if it's, I, I guess I want to talk about you know the series that you know like surprised me, and you know just you know just um just you know, you know burn burn brightly and just make that, that much of an impression on myself. So you know, I tend to like shy away from the series that I'm all, that I that I'm reading, like because you know hey just it doesn't take any effort to just say you know oh the series still good, um keep reading it and such. Anyway, that being said, number five. For um, best of the year for me is The Walking Dead because holy shit! I mean, they, um, Kirkman and company threw just about everything they possibly could at like for this, like for for this year. I mean, we got the um two vo- the the full um all out war saga which saw um Rick um take on Negan for the um for dominance of the D- DC area and it's like and also the um it's like and the fo- and the follow up volume from from there, so which um, which I can't remember the name of it. Oh, a new beginning, and um, it's like, and it showed you know what happens in the fall of that. I mean, it's it's a gigantic turning point for the series, and also and the the fall of volume that also showed that hey, you know, like even though it's like you know we have to um, yeah, we're dialing back the uh, the action. It's not the whole epic all out war with this giant give and take between the two forces. Um, new beginning also showed you know showed us that you know hey like we are working on rebuilding rebuilding this this is a series about rebuilding the world rebuilding civilization itself and also showed us a lot of cool new things such as the um the creepy whispered the um humans who were apparently living among zombies it's like in order to survive and also a great inversion of the standard um zombie movie trope of people winding up in a uh, it's like in an idyllic environment and then realizing that hey you know Something's wrong here. We gotta figure out what it is. Only the thing is, though, that that idyllic environment is the environment that Rick and his friends built. So we know that um, he's that um, this environment, this whole place is on the up and up. But all these other people who they've just recruited into it, they've got real valid reasons for doubting all that, and that's great. I mean, just the fact that he's able. To, I mean, the series has been great at um, 
inverting and reflecting um, zombie tropes over the years, and it just really um, nailed it like in this year. I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, listen, The Walking Dead, I mean, yeah, zombies are a part of the series, no doubt, but at the same time, though, it's like, it was, it's a series about rebuilding civilization and like, and also just, you know, completely subverting your expectations for the genre. It's fantastic. It's like, and I love how um, Kirkman um, has, like, pulled it off with, with the three volumes he delivered this year. So, yeah, kudos to um, Kirkman, Adlard, and new inker Stefano Gaudiano. Okay, next up is something um, way at the other end of the spectrum. Um, and that's, that would be um, um, Shuzo Oshimi's um, The Flowers of Evil. This is a series that it started out, um, you know, not, I mean, not, not really impressing me that much, but, you know, I stuck with it because, hey, you know, I'm not going to, it seriously has to be really, truly awful to get me to stop reading. And um, as things went on, it's like, I just grew more and more immersed in this um, story about, um, youth, about youth, youthful lust and indiscretions. It's like, it's like, as it, as its characters developed over the course of, course of its run, it's like, by the time the um, final volume rolled around, I was just completely immer- like just um, just like chomping up a bit to find out what was going to happen. Just, you know, were we going to get a happy ending? Probably not. But you know, even then, like you know, hey, I, my expectations lived to be subverted. And also, the uh, the ending also does a the, the final chapter the creature of like you know make me wonder, think about, hey, you know, what if this was the case over the course of the series? So when I had to go and reread it for the podcast, it was like it was fascinating to reread it with this with the knowledge of what happens in the like at the end, just coloring my my perceptions with like over the course of its run. So, like I said, if you if you read it yourself, if you don't think the um it starts off great, I can tell you, keep with it. It's fantastic. It's like and it's a great and even though it's like it's got lots and lots of teenage angst. It's like it's probably got some of the most compelling angst I've seen it's like in comics over the course of the course of like many years. Anyway, moving further away from that um, is um, my number three pick, Granville. Um, I, it's a series that I've been um, following for a couple of years now, as um, writer artist Brian Talbot has been giving us the adventure of Detective Inspector um, Archie LeBrock. It's like in this um, anthropomorphic um, world where um, animals are. Like animals walk and talk like humans, and humans are a marginalized race. It's like that I'll have, that that we're only thought to have come up in like the last um, couple decades. It's like, but but um um it's but um Talbot has done a great job of it's like of developing of, of building this this world, and also with this this most recent volume, Noel does a great job. Also, um um takes us further. Further into its world, detailing its cosmology, its thoughts on evolution, it's like and the religion that um, that um, that defines it, all all while telling us a great it's like a, like a great story about the um the tr- about the um destructive power of like religious cults. It's like and um it's like and you know what happens when um one animal uh, you know gets its own Jesus complex. It's like it's like it it's very it's incredibly well um well illustrated. But um, as things go on, but I mean, it's like the series has just um, you know gotten better and better as it. It's like as it's like as new volumes have come out. Um, Talbot has has said recently that the um, forthcoming fifth volume, there will be a fifth one, um, maybe the last one in the series, and that any any he does after that would have to be done in a different style. But um, this fifth one going to be the longest, and also probably the um, 
the one where everything starts to go wrong for um for Detective Inspector LeBrock, which um has on one hand like it makes me a little nervous, but at the same time, you know everything he's done with the series so far has basically given me the confidence to believe that you know it's going to be thoroughly worth reading once it comes out in um 2017 according to his estimates like that's a long wait but hey speaking of long waits um nothing right now seems seems like a longer wait than wondering what's going to happen to the fate of vidland saga because my number two pick is that is the best manga i read this year it's a story and story of um of vikings on it's like in the um it's like in the era, it's like early 11th through early 12th, 12th century. It's like one, one character, Thorfinn, who wants to wants to kill, murder the um, leader of the Vikings. Um, he serves with Askeladd for his for how um, Askeladd um, played a role in his father's death. And um, but it's also, but um, I mean, that would that would have been a compelling story as it is. But um, Mangaka Makoto Yukimura does a um. Really, I started broadening the scope with volume, volume three, and showing us, you know, how it's like how the um, it's like how the Danish prince Canute um, also like suddenly realizes, uh, you know, what what the world means to him. It's like how he wants to, um, you know, change the world and um, take it away from his father, while also, um, you know, completely, um, sh- like you know, changing the focus of the series and giving us some incredible action sequ- sequences as well as Askeladd's plans, you know, s- suddenly start. Unraveling among him, volumes three and four were the, were some of the most compelling reading experiences I've had. Like I had over the past year, when I when I got the when I got my hands on these things, I just could not put them down. They the stories of like it's like of their of the main characters' um plans against the uh, it's like it's like against the uh, like the Danish the King Swain on the on the Danish throne. It's like we're just we're just like really just like so compelling compelling it's like and and well and well drawn that i couldn't that they just that they just this grabbed me it's like and i just like devoured what um what the what um Yukimura had to say and it was like i would have loved to have seen them see them continue like the stories these stories of like like of of um political maneuvering but um he but even then he decided okay i've got something else to tell you about it's like about thorfinn and his life and how and how um, after the climactic events of um, Volume Four, he winds up being sold into slavery um, at at the end of it, and um, and we f- follow his existence through Volume Five as he as he um, you know yes it's a I'm a man of peace I'm done killing that's his story now, but um, Yukimura has the um, skills in order to um, make sure that this story that that kind of narrative like has real real weight and um, dramatic heft to it. Problem is, um, Kodansha, um, Kodansha Comics, um, um, Kodansha's U.S. branch has basically announced that um, that um, publication of Vinland Saga has been temporarily suspended. And while I was prepared to congratulate them for getting out um, ten volumes worth of the manga in their um, five two-in-one editions over the course of a year, it's, this is just. Um, Thoroughly disappointing. I mean, con man, this is like this is fantastic stuff. I mean, I recommend this to anyone who likes great comics. I mean, if you're one of those people who just don't like manga, then hey, I'd say this is the series that you need to read because it's just it just does not follow 
it, it is not like you know standards like chun jump bullshit that that and I like chun jump bullshit, but it's like I I'm, I'm always going to be about the, whole, the mature scene and stuff that um that digs deeper and doesn't um like doesn't hew towards mainstream like mainstream conventions. Um, now I now they said that they're they're working towards finding a new way to release a series like in the new, new that there's going to be news about it, but I'm. All I can say is that you know, hey, as I said in my blog post about, hey, get out your get out your wallets. It's time to see Vinland Saga. It's like you know, you need to start buying this because you know that's the old like the fact that you know, the series like you know, if if we want the series to continue, then this is then we're gonna need to vote, vote with our wallets here. And you know, I if Kodansha does find a way to do this, um, to put out new volumes of Vinland Saga, like hey, I I wouldn't mind paying extra for a. Nice single hardcover volume, like um, Yen Press does with the excellent um, A Bride Story. Another series that you know I wouldn't mind. I'd probably just you know keep putting on these um, best of lists. But um, but hey, you know if they can do it, I I love them because hey I you know this like I said with I have issues with this with um, how Dark Horse handles um, their like their manga releases, especially with Eden, which had another um, great volume this year, but also risks um, ending its U.S. Um, publication on on a cliffhanger. But hey, like I said, you gotta buy this stuff, or else we're not gonna get it. And and so hey, you're either part of the solution by buying it, or part of the problem by not buying it. That's all I gotta say on that. But enough about all this stuff about you know. Stuff that might come out this year. My, my pick for best of the year for the ser- was a series that you know collected all forty-one issues in of its of its initial run in one volume, and and gives a great, um, massive, um, massively compelling, um, and gri- say gripping, imaginative, um, unconventional crime saga. That was um David Lapham's Stray Bullets Uber Alice Edition. Story of lots of, it's like it's a story that takes place over, it's like over about it's like a decade, over about well over a decade or so, like in the um, late starts in the late seventies, continues on to the early, it's like early eighties, and it's still going on, um, thanks to the um, miniseries that have that um that Laughing is running through Image now, but the um, Uber Alice edition is a great, um, tapestry of crime and character, that um that 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 gripped me from the beginning. And I, and even though it's like like the volume is like this gigantic brick, it's like it did not feel like like a chore at all to read through these like the, these interconnected stories. And you know, even though I've heard for years about how um you know often that was like this great talent, he didn't see it like it, it he did some some decent enough superhero stories and some really awful shit with um Garth Ennis's crossed, um. But but um, Stray Bullets shows you why the guy like is like is regarded as a great talent in the comics industry. It's like and it's like and I really it's like it's like and I, I actually I really can't recommend this enough. It is a fan, it's a fantastic read. It's like and it's like it's that great inter- intricate storytelling that that I'm um, really that 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 grip that got my attention and didn't didn't let go over the course of the year. So there you go. That's my that's my top ten list right here. Um, other honorable mentions include um, Rick Remender's and um, Rick Remender and uh, Mateo Scalera's Black Science, 
which seemed like it might have been like the same kind of um, like miserableism that um, Remender traffics in for his, for his usual creator-owned tiles, but then had a great twist at the end that made me go, "Hey, you know, this might be kind of this, this might be kind of like you know." He looks forward to seeing what's going to happen next. Um, Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting's Velvet was a um, was a um, great spy story and a welcome return form for the writer after um, several years of generally of generally disappointing Marvel stuff. It's like and the uh, it's like and uh, and Fatale, which was good but not you know greatness I t- tend to expect from his creator own work. Um, Hinterkind by um, Ian Edgington and um, Fran- Francisco Trifogli. It's a uh, story about you know the um, all the uh, it's like the uh, creatures of myth, like trolls, fairies, it's like and what and centaurs and whatnot, um, coming out from the uh, to reclaim Earth in this wicked this post apocalyptic post cataclysmic disaster from from the humans. Even though it's like it's it sells fuck all from vert um from vertigo. Um they're at least giving it, you know, say like three volumes worth of um content in order to tell the story. And I I would have loved to have seen this um seen them get more because it's it's a it's a really clever it's a really clever and interesting story that that's well told by Ed- Edgington and Trafogli. Um Satoshi Kon's um opus um was one of the was a uh, was the um great great anime director's last work a mass major work before he uh before he um went on to directing anime films full time and um, it was a great metafiction story about this um, manga creator who gets sucked into his own work after his um after his protagonist steals his final page and um it it's like i it's like i thought it was great but at the same time though it doesn't have a proper ending even though it has closure. So it's kind of hard for me to say, yeah, this is great. It doesn't have an ending, but it's still great. So it's, like I said, it's, it, the, the, um, the closure it offers is kind of cool, but at the same time, though, it's like, you know, the fact that it doesn't end is, it's an issue. Um, Miracle Man, the fact that this series actually came back in print, you know, is worthy enough for, uh, is, is reason for celebration enough. And the fact that, you know, it actually held up pretty well. Even though, like you know, I'd say that book book one, the introduction holds up a bit better than than book two. Um, there's that that consider as well. I may get around to um, reviewing book two at some point. I've had it on my two two review sh- um, part of my desk for a while, but one of these days. So, but um, chances are, like once uh, book three, um, um, Olympus comes out, and, you know that that may be worth worth it more talk about. Also, when um, the Neil Gaiman stuff. Um, cert, like resumes um, print, um, comes back into print as well. Also, um, Manifest Destiny was another great image title, which shows you the true story of Lewis and Clark's um, expedition into the um, it's like into the western um, undiscovered western regions of the United States and finding all sorts of creepy shit there. It's like I w- I thought it was a great um, great adventure. It's like even though it's like you know there were some you know issues with how with race and women. It's like that kind of held it back at the end. And also as far as like you know, it's a good superhero stories that you know that I really enjoyed. Um, Daredevil by Mark Wade and Chris Samney was a great, was consistently great read um, throughout the year, and it's also also want to bring it up because I just got um, two more volumes of it t- um, today because of how Marvel releases their um, their uh, you know hard covers into soft covers, and then you know the new series is just like you know direct to soft cover and all. Anyway, but hey, what about the worst of the year? Oh yeah, there was some real awful shit this year. I mean, 
Terraformars. I mean, that series, uh, had, at least the first one, was, so, was at least tadly, decently so, so bad that it was, it's like that it was um, hilarious. And it got me um, to watch the, um, the, the anime with my buddy Steve. And we had tons of fun um, ripping the series apart, including the, the um, I think one episode that, that actually had, had the title, I Shit You Not, Too Sad to Die. Oh, God. It was, the anime is, is like, it, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, like, it's like the kind of, the, uh, kind of action, terrible action drama that um, Michael Bay wishes he could direct. But, um, but the thing is, like, you know, the first volume was at least terrible enough to be hilarious. Subsequent volumes, <coughs> subsequent volumes are just, um, were just, um, improved enough just to be boring. And also, um, I just gave up after, um, watching the anime with Steve was just more entertaining than reading the manga itself. Then you also, um, Terrible Manga includes the Shinji Ikari Raising Project, which, good God, I mean, it's like, that's my guiltiest, it's, I used to say it's my guiltiest comic book re- reading pleasure, but I don't even know why, like, why I'm keep, keep continuing to give money for this, considering that, you know, it's, it's, it's not only I'm gone into, um, more volumes than the, um, Evangelion manga proper, it's also one of the longest running, um, Dark Horse, um, series, Dark Horse manga series in the, it's like in the modern age, especially, and it's also disappointing in the sense that you know, people, including me, fuck, goddammit, are you know, will pay pay for this, but they won't pay for for great stuff like um, Eden. It's an endless world. Um, it's like the only reason this, this series gets gets any readers at all is because of the Evangelion um, license. And if it wasn't for um, Carl Horn's um, great um, localization work on the script, then um, it wouldn't be worth the paper it's printed on. Also, um, this, this is the year that Dark Horse lost the um, rights to um, Star Wars, and they celebrated this by putting out one of their worst, and that would be the um, the Star Wars, which um, had some really uneven art as it unadapted as it adapted the um, like Lucas's um, first draft screenplay for like for Star Wars. As it turns out, you know that there's a reason it was just first draft because it was terrible and. Um, say what you want about you know the quality of the script and writing for the movie we got. It's a hell of a lot better than um, than this pile of crap right here. And I feel I just feel even worse for um for get, for um shelling out for the um, hardcover edition, which includes the um, issue series plus the um, issue zero um, bit of supplemental material. Because I figured, hey, you know, this series is. Um, it's going out. Of, probably be going right out of print once some license goes over to, to Marvel. So hey, maybe this will be worth something. I still feel bad for for thinking like that. I'm just so glad I didn't pay for the super deluxe 150 dollar edition they put out as well. Good lord. But as far as like you know, worst worst thing I read this year, most disappointing. That would be Cataclysm: The Ultimate's Last Stand. This was really a very bad year for um, Brian Michael Bendis, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of um, writing and his projects and all. Well, he did turn in some good work on, um, it's like, uh, it's like on his X-Men um, projects. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man suffered through one of its most uneven years. It's like in recent, it's like in recent memory. I mean, it's, it's still worth reading, but at the same time though, it's like the, uh, it's like, um, Bendis has shown a um, willingness to, you know, put, to um, put through, Put um, Miles Morales through um, benchmarks for um, Peter for um, for Spider-Man, as opposed to telling you know just proper stories 
with the character and about the character himself. So it's kind of disappointing that he's that he's resorted to that, but not not really disappointing the fact that you know he wrote a miniseries where um, Galactus was stopped by a gigantic Kitty Pride punching him into a black hole. Yeah, that was a thing that happened, and Cataclysm was basically the best argument yet from shuttering for shutting down the the um, Ultimate Marvel imprint. And while they decided, to, hey, we're going to get one more go after this um, after this event, only Ultimate Spider-Man turned out to be even halfway decent in terms of in terms of reading. I didn't even bother want to bother with um, Joshua Fialkov's Ultimate FF and um, the uh, um, all new Ultimates was just blah and just like you know not nearly as imaginative as um, as its, as its writer Michael Fife had. I had been led to expect from his um, acclaimed work from the indie series Copra. So the fact that you know um, the Ultimate Universe seems to be um, being put to bed with the um, forthcoming uh, Secret Wars crossover, I can only hope that's true because you know um, Miles Morales. You know, hey, you'll you've got a lot to look forward to in the proper Marvel Universe proper because you're a great character. It's like, and hopefully, hopefully you'll, you'll get some stories that are worthy of you. Like in in the next year, and there's lots lots to look forward to in the next year as well. And we've got, um, like I said, got the wrap up to um, to um, Hickman's like event um, Avengers saga. We've got um, it's like, and we also got his return to um, ongo- it's like to his focus on um, his image com- image titles full time, like Manhattan Projects, East of West, and the new series in his new series, um, like The Dead and the Dying, described as Indiana Jones for old people. But we've also got other events, like, say, the uh, the end of the proper like Evangelion manga. It's like the uh, it's like the final volume, final volumes of Claymore and um, Blade of the Immortal, which oh yeah, I cannot wait until March, and that's gonna oh man. After I've been following that for nineteen years, almost nineteen years, and that's no, not well, not nineteen years, probably about fifteen or fourteen. But you know, just find out you know the end of that. I mean, God, man, I can't wait. It's like, and all sorts of other stuff, and you know, there's pl- plenty of events that are going to be coming, that com- coming up that I'm looking forward to as well. And you know, there's, hey, there's always going to be some stuff that you know compl- takes you by surprise, and you just hey, you know, what's what do we got next? Oh, yeah, hey, we also got you know the uh, final Usagi Yojimbo story, Senso, but maybe not the final Usagi Yojimbo story. We'll see. Just stuff like this. That, hey, I'm probably going to remember to talk about as soon as I'm done with this podcast. So, John, um, any thoughts on your end about all this? Well, you got a pretty good list there, so um, uh, everyone go support your local title by Vinland Saga. Yes, get down. <laughs> Buy it! Buy it now! Uh, do you know what you're going to be talking about next week? Uh, next week is, um, next time is actually not going to be about a, about a series that, you know, um, wrapped up um, recently. That's going to be about... Um, Jeff Lemire's um, like Sweet Tooth, which I finally got around to finishing, like about a couple months back, and um, hey, it's like I'll just say this: I liked it a lot more than um, his work on Animal Man. All right, we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glick. All right, later. All right, bye.